This is Spoiler Country, a podcast about comics, movies, whatever, but mostly comics. Enjoy. Previously on Spoiler Country. Because I don't think 29, oh, nice. 29 has not come out. I don't think so. That, yeah, that's not me either, so. Oh, it's not. So you only did. It's not worth buying. <laughs> so you just did 26, by that one. 28, okay. Okay, welcome back to Spoiler Country. This is Kenrick Regan, and that is John Horsley over there. As always, we have a, a special show today. They're all special. Yeah, they're all special. They're all little children, and we love them all. Yes. We hug them and kiss them and pet them and put them to bed nightly. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> Every night. We read them stories. and No, seriously, though, we have a, a different one than we normally do. It is special in the fact that we're reviewing a book as opposed to a comic book. An what? actual we can, novel. We, we can read real books, too? I know. What? No pictures? Actually, actually I listen to it, but still. <laughs> yeah, so this is I this is a special one to me because I love this whole series. I've read all the books so far except for the last one. I'm actually in the middle of the last one, and it's called Sandman Slim. And it is written by an author named Richard Cadry, and we have a soft commit for him to come on probably late September, early October, we're hoping. Uh, hopefully we'll get a hard commit and that would be really exciting because I really, 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 really like this guy's writing. I've met him once before. I had him sign my Killing Pretty book, which is another, I think it's number eight. It'd be cool to have him come on, come on the show after his uh, Hellblazer run starts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have him on. There's there's a couple of things that why. One, this series of books has been optioned for a movie, which is very, a, a movie franchise, like multiple movies. So that's very exciting. Two, he was do, he's done some comic books in the past, but he just got done doing an arc on Lucifer, which was really good, and he's getting ready to do an arc on Constantine. Now, the Constantine run is very exciting because the main character in Sandman Slim, his name is James Stark, and the whole concept is that he is a magician that was sent to hell by one of his cohorts. Now, he went to hell. He didn't die to go to hell. They actually had demons come and take him to hell alive. And then he right. lives in hell for 11 years. Fighting in the arena. Fighting in the arena, yep. Bastardy evil things and killing. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense the way to describe his time in hell. But yeah, he spent 11 years down there. Yeah, and he comes back because his girlfriend at the time when he went down was murdered. And he knows who did it, the same people that sent him to hell. And so he wants to avenge her murder. Stark as a character is very similar in my mind to Constantine. All the good stuff. He's very much to me. He very much felt like an American Constantine. Yeah, exactly. But I don't. But the only the only like I think that's where it ends. Though the one thing I think Constantine has because I think Constantine has Constantine has has more charisma than Stark does as far as like his character wise. There's a lot of similarities there between those two characters. A lot. Yeah. Well, Stark is more physical. You know, he's he's yeah, a brawler. Absolutely. You know, he's a he's an assassin. Uses Hellion magic more now as opposed to just standard magic and. Constantine's more of a uh, learned magician, I think you could say. Yeah, and he's more—he's less about killing people and getting his way than he is about kind of manipulating the facts and manipulating the world to get what he wants. Yeah, yeah. People die with Constantine, and he—he's—he's done some pretty, let's just say, less than savory things. Not like Stark. <laughs> Not like Stark. And Stark is more like a Constantine on massive steroids to me, and but I think very much an Americanized Constantine, but a little bit more oomph. Yeah, more of more behind him. Yeah, I think he's a little bit more powerful than Constantine. I think he's a little bit more. He's not afraid to take it to that next level. Well, he's not afraid to start at the next level either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's and the cool thing with Stark is so he spends his time in hell, and as he's down there, he realizes 
he's not dying in the arena, right? So the demons down there start playing with him basically like he's a toy because it's like the first living being to be in hell. And they're and he's a novelty. Right. So they're messing with him to see. And then finally they just throw him into the arena to fight other monsters. And he wins. And every time a monster or a demon hurts him in some way, he gains a scar, which then makes him not immune to these things, but harder to use those things against him. Right. They, there's a great scene in the book where he uh, he he shows this to Allegra, which is one of the, the girl characters that is throughout the book uh, he meets up with. And he shows her with the uh, the knife going through his hand. Yeah. Just how they describe it going th- and he pulls it out and she tries to do it again and it goes through and it breaks the skin, but it just it stops there and won't go through any further and just goes to show that he's not, yeah, he's not, he's not immune to that attack further. It's, it's making him, you know, unkillable. I mean, it's where it just doesn't work the same way. It just, it's not going to hurt him anywhere near as bad or, you know, really at all. Right. It's, it's going to stop, which is, it's a cool concept. I've always thought, you know, if you had a character that would adapt to what, what wasn't there, we, we talked about another character in a book that had the same ability that once you use it on it once, they couldn't use it again. Oh, Doomsday from Superman. Oh, yeah. Every time you kill Doomsday, he comes back to life and he, he can never be killed that way again, at least the original form of Doomsday. Right. So it's, it's an interesting concept how it gets used. It's used, you know, very differently in, in Sandman Slim than it was in the old Superman comics. Y- but Yeah, I mean, because, like, you could kill Stark with the knife. It's just going to be a lot harder to do it because the scars that, that go in that area, they're not going to be impregnable, but I don't but they just makes it much more tougher. Right. Let's just talk about the fact that he comes back to... For, for anybody listening, spoilers are going to happen. We're, we're talking about the book. You're going to hear things. If you haven't read the book yet and you don't want any spoilers, this probably isn't the show for you. Just go buy the book and read it because it's really good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of spo- I mean, we are a spoiler country and we get excited. That's what happens. So the book starts off with him coming out of the graveyard in LA, a graveyard, and he mugs... Yeah. Basically, the first guy that he comes across takes his cash, <laughs> right. takes his money, right? He's like a crackhead guy, right? And then he ends crackhead up having, Brad Pitt, man. yeah, yeah, the crackhead, the Brad Pitt crackhead, which was perfect. <laughs> and he has like a really nice car, right? And he takes the guy's car, and then, and then what happens next? He goes to, is it? Does he go to the House of Dolls first? He kind of finds a place to get something to eat, something to drink. Yeah, he goes there first. Yeah, it's kind of like a dive bar. Yep. And the guy's like, look, you look like you know how to handle yourself. Why don't you help me with these neo-Nazi skinheads that keep coming into my establishment, and I'll give you free drinks and, and free food for as long as you need. When at first he's like, no. Yeah, yeah. At first he's like, no. But then he happens to be there when the skinheads come in, and he messes some things up. It's The writing of this book is – this is why I like this book, okay? Because the writing is – a gumshoe style supernatural detective. And if you listen to our genre episode, you know that's my favorite. Yeah. And that's exactly what you get with this. Well, like I said in my episode two, you know, I like I like mysteries and stuff. And I've definitely felt throughout this whole book going through it, you know, I was trying to figure out, okay, the the main character he's the main guy he's looking for is a guy named Mason, the guy who sent him to hell. Yeah, Mason Fame. The whole time I'm like I'm like, where the hell is Mason? Where is Mason? Where is this guy? And then towards the end of the book I figured out where he was because if they, they Richard Catch does a great job of planting that seed early in the book of where Mason's at. You don't realize it's there until you get to the end and figure out where he's at. Because right. once I think about it, I'm like, oh wait, they said they they mentioned this in like chapter one or chapter two of the book. And right. come full circle, oh, this is where it's at, which is you know, it, it was very beautifully done and how they how that, that reveal of where Mason was at. You know what I just realized? Stark would go really well in the Hellboy universe. Stark's kind of built for Hellboy universe. If you think about it, he's he would fit right in. It, it would he could walk into that universe. There could be a crossover. 
Yeah, they could do a crossover on that so well. That would be that would be awesome. Because Hellboy is another one of my most favorites because he is a supernatural detective. Yes, I've always liked Hellboy because just because the not the comedy aspect, but the aspect of the fact that it has the comedy elements into it and it has right. detective elements into it. You just can't the, the way Mignola draws those books. It just the blocks oh, yeah. he has on it. Just, it it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, talk about a guy being really coming into his own, not into his own, but having a, very, a definitive style. Mike Mignola. If you ever meet the guy, he's such a nice guy in person too. He's, he's he'll he'll talk to you and just talk to you about whatever you want to talk about, which yeah. is great. That's awesome. <laughs> I do. I would love to meet him. We should try to get him on. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. I, I I just put those two together. That that Stark would just go right into the Hellboy universe. Like it would make a lot of sense. Right, so we have Cadre on. We'll talk to him about that. Then we'll get Mike Mignola on, and we'll talk to him about that too. And we'll make him meet up and make it happen. There you go. That's that's a plan right there. The only thing we ask is that if it does happen, they give us they just give us a copy to read. <laughs> yeah, or maybe make us like a, a slimy character that they kill right away. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> that's me. That's oh, that's not me. <laughs> that's all, uh, we're dead. Yeah, we're, dead. Yeah, we're dead. And scene. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I think for me, what when I was this is my first time going through this series, uh, the first book, and I, I I do plan on I plan on reading the, going through the next one too because it was good. The what got me really hooked into the book because you know there's always there's always a section of a book when you first read it that gets you hooked right, right. it's a, a point where you're like okay i'm gonna finish this and that was when he gets to the video store cuts the guy's head off and it keeps talking to him <laughs> <laughs> because he's using a special knife it was kasabian right this name right Right, Kasabian, yep. Right, yeah, and that, that whole interaction, it was just like, all right, I am hooked. I've got to see where this ends. I've got to see how he gets Mason and where this ends. <laughs> yeah, so the whole Kasabian thing with him getting his head cut off and then using the magic to make him keep talking, I thought one, I thought, I thought it was hilarious, but it also gave me that hook I needed to want to keep reading and get to the end of the book and figure out where the hell Mason was and how he got to Mason and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. But one thing that did get me is books like this, and I say books like this kind of openly, but when I first started it, it had, you know, it, it goes through that edginess which it reaches very well and it has vulgarity in the book and one thing i don't like which i mentioned before is books or stories that are vulgar and cross a line to be shocking just to be vulgar and shocking and when i first started this book i kind of had the feeling that it was this book was going to do that to me where it was going to throw in a bunch of gross you know descriptive scenes or vulgarity right. or, or nudity or sex scenes that didn't necessarily help the plot or do anything good besides just be there to kind of hit that shock value right right and I, but i was i was pleasantly surprised to get through the book and yeah while it was in the book it made sense for the, the places where it was at and it helped it actually helped the story move along and all of it flowed with the characters and it was right for the characters to be doing those things right i mean the description of some of the violence was done really well i mean I don't think a murder or a fight scene with Stark being involved is going to be a pleasant experience for anybody <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in there, especially when you was talking about the Na'at. Oh, John, yeah. That weapon is crazy. You know what I mean? It sounds really cool, and I don't think anything like that. It's going to be vulgar in, in violence. But the language, I feel like, is more typical to the way people actually talk. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. People swear. You and I swear all the time. <laughs> all day long. And we try yeah, and we try to curb it. But that's how people do talk and it's and it's common. So that you know, it's not I don't know, because sometimes when you when you when you do read a book or you watch a movie and the swearing gets to the point where you're just like, Okay, that's I, I get it. You're trying to emphasize something and I understand. But at, at the same at the same point it's like you don't know how to write because you're just using vulgarity to mask the lack of inspiration or the lack of creativity that you have. Exactly. I don't get that feeling with no, this. No, I don't either. And that's, I was very happy with that because I, I don't like stories like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Vulgar to be vulgar is, is, is 
not fun. I, I guess it de- all depends. I guess we'll, well, I don't know, dude. I guess it depends <laughs> on who you are and what you like. It also right? depends on what you're going for. I don't for. like if that. If you're going for a serious book to be taken seriously, if you're throwing a bunch of Argaries in there, you're not going to be taken seriously. If you're doing a B movie like a Hammer film and you're throwing in grotesque stuff right. in there, then a, it can make sense for what you're doing. It all plays to your audience. Me personally, if I'm reading a story that I think is going to be a serious story and they just throw in a bunch of F bombs that don't fit, it kind of, again, it'll take me out of the story and I'm like, well, I'm done. Right. I don't get that feeling with this no, at all. No, not at all. I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think that he uses language the right way. He uses violence the right way to get points across and to get a scene in your head of what's going on, the action involved. And he does a really good job at that. I I love this book. I, I've read it. I've I've literally read that at least five times. Well, you spent the last year trying to get me to read the damn book, so I think you like it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a fun read, and... When the first time I read it, I was looking for something in the supernatural genre. And I literally was like, I want to read a book and I want to read something that's going to be fun and not take it so not take itself so seriously. Right. Right. I tried reading like The Shack and that was just it was too much. Right. For me. I know a lot of other people loved that book. But for me, The Shack was it just takes itself too seriously. And I just like, ah, it's not for me. I looked on Amazon and it was when I found that book, it was the year after it came out, I think it was a year after it came out. Maybe it was the year it came out. So this is quite a few years ago now. And it was like this best-selling supernatural book or rated number one supernatural book of the year or something like that. I can't remember the accolade that they put out. But I was like, eh, well, it caught my, it was enough to catch my attention. You know what I mean? I ordered the book on Amazon and, and I actually got a physical copy because I didn't own a Kindle at the time. And I couldn't, dude, I, I started reading it and it, I literally read it from cover to cover the first time I read it, I sat down and read it cover to cover. Oh, geez. <laughs> didn't put it. Yeah, I didn't put it down. I it, I just kept turning the page going, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? And I was, I'm laughing through the whole thing, you know, because it's pretty funny yeah. in a lot of scenes. There's some there's there's some you know? good comedy in that book. And the, the character development and everything that's going on. And it was cool to listen. So this last time that we just because you and I because I wanted to read it while you were reading it. So when we had this that we. You know, everything was fresh in my mind. Yeah, exactly. So this last time, though, I downloaded the book because I can't find my original copy of it because <laughs> I've moved, you know, a few times. It's in a box then. somewhere. Yeah, it's in a box somewhere. So I downloaded it off of Amazon into my Kindle. And now they have the whole thing where you get the if, if it's available in Audible, you get the Audible version of it as well. Well, at least it you, you can play it. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So it's really cool. Yeah. So I download the book thinking I'm going to read it, but then there's an option just to play it. And then it was the same guy that you listened to because you probably downloaded yours off of Audible. Yep, I did. I was like, okay, this is really cool. And then to hear the guy say people's names like Vidoc, and I don't know how much I struggled with that guy's name because if you look at it on paper, it's spelled V-I-D-C-O-Q. Right. Or V-I-D-O-C-Q. Something, something weird, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's obviously very French, and I was like I I just kept saying Vidoc, and that's how they they kept saying it. So I was like, okay, that's cool, <laughs> and like the naat and the way it's spelt was okay. Am I saying it right? You know what I mean? Am I thinking of it right? And these are the things that I think about when I'm reading books, which is sometimes it's stupid. Sometimes I go back and I just the overall story is what's important. How they say a certain thing or pronounce somebody's name is irrelevant in the long term because me and myself and I that's reading and interpreting and and enjoying this literature by myself. That's the cool thing with books. You're your own director of the story. Yeah. You don't get that with Audible. You know what I mean? 
the influences or the, or the inflections of the words and how it's being read is given to you. You're not, you're not making it your own. And so that's why I went back and read this book so many times is because, you know, the first time I read it so fast because I was so into it. And then about six months later, I was like, I want to read that again and take my time reading it as opposed to being this page turner. But it's interesting. Have you ever read a book, just covered it, sat down and just read one cover to cover? Uh, when I first, the first time I read Good Omens, I read cover to cover. Yeah, it's interesting when you do that because when you go back and you reflect, you actually gain, I feel like you get more out of it. Oh, definitely. You know, there's there's an enjoyment level that you get when that happens that you don't get when it takes you a week or a couple days to read a book. So when I pick up a book and I start reading it, I tend to finish in a day or two. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not somebody that takes a month to read one book. Like I read The Stand in three days, four days. Damn, that's a big book too. Yeah. Well, because that's just my whole family is prolific readers, right? I mean, that's... My brother was a big reader. My mom it reads constantly. And you'd be shocked at the stuff my mom's reading. <laughs> she reads every time. Every time I see her, she's reading a book. Yeah. I mean, and her favorite book is Clan of the Cave Bear. That's my mom's favorite book, too. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. She's read that book like a billion times. Yeah, so is my mom. She, always, she, doesn't have, she doesn't know what to read. She goes back to that book. Why, you know, if you have something good to read, you know, and you're lost. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I've never read it, so I have no idea. But that's how I read, right? I read pretty quickly for the most part but it's it's rare that i get a book that makes me read it cover to cover the other one that did that to me was a book by eric larson called devil in the white city and we should do a review of that one someday okay and that is completely different than anything we've ever done before and it's it's a true story for one and it's taken from newspaper articles and diaries and it's all about chicago's world fair and holmes a guy named john holmes who's considered america's first serial killer that was going on at the same time in Chicago. It's crazy read. Uh, so that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're making a movie out of it. Actually, I read that cover to cover flying down to Brazil back in 2003. I f- saw the book at the airport bookstore, and I was like, I gotta have something. Right. I'm not gonna be in a plane for 15 hours or 18 hours. I don't remember how long it was, and not have anything to read. And I picked up that book, and I couldn't put it down. And that's what Sandman Slim did to me the first time I read it. And so six months later, I had to go back to it, read it a few more. You know read it and kind of digest more things because as you read as the series goes on more things start to come to light about other characters that are a major influence and and major players that you're not realizing oh i'm sure it's because the the book itself sets it up so well to be a not just to be a series but to be something that you can have so many levels to and so much depth into it if you want to yeah like why stark is such a great magician why it comes so naturally for him yeah and somebody like, so the whole concept, well, I don't know, it's not the concept, I shouldn't say that, but one of the, one of the driving forces is that Mason, who is the antagonist throughout the story, is, I feel, is severely jealous of the, the how easy magic comes to Stark. Oh, yeah, he's, it's, it's blatant when you get to the end and you hear him or read him talking that the jealousy is the reason why he's done everything, and instead of trying to, it kind of it felt in the end, it felt like instead of trying to, you know, quote unquote, defeat Stark, Mason Moore wanted him to join him so he could use him for use him for what he is and make basically make him a tool in right. his army. Yeah, he wants to be he wants him to be subservient to him. Yeah. As a point, right? It's a point of pride and a point of saying, You're good, but you're not that good. Right. You're good, but you work right. for me. And the universe that Kadri has set up is great, man. You have you have a whole underlying culture underneath the crap of LA. And I mean when I mean to say the crap of LA, but all the all the egotistical stars and, you know, the whole 
rich people that are living on one level, but then you have what he calls the sub rosa, which is a magical group of people. Would that be a fair way to say it? A magical group of people? Yeah, I think the group of people. Yeah. That, they're they're people that know how that can naturally perform magic. Yeah, that's better to put it. Probably the only way to put it. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know what's cool about that whole concept was: did you catch the the fact that the ones that are really rich will make you make their outside of their homes look completely like dumps, like close to being foreclosed on or condemned. That's the word I'm looking for. Right. So nobody, nobody suspects to go there. Well, it's it's kind of like a style thing, right? I don't know if it's about expects to go there because if you're Sub Rosa, then you know where to go. But he tries to make it where everything's a dump. And then when you go inside the house, it's all luxurious and, and incredible. Yeah. What'd you think of him teaching Allegra a little bit of magic at the beginning and then that comes around at the end? I thought that was great foreshadowing. I thought when they first introduced Allegra in the story, I was like, I, honestly, I thought she was going to be a throwaway character. I thought she was going to show up yeah. for a little bit, a chapter or two, and then she was going to be gone. He was going to move on. I w- Having her stick around, and because uh, she learned magic from Vidoc, right? Learned how to do some, some spells and stuff. Well, she's learning alchemy from Vidoc. Yeah, she sorry. Can't alchemy, do any yeah. Actual, yeah. She can't do any hard case spells because she's pure human. She has no sub rosa within her. But Stark at the beginning teaches her a a common flame on the fingertips trick. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, it's. I was happy that her character stuck around. I, I, I really enjoyed her character. She becomes a major player throughout the, all the series. Does she? Yeah. It, you find out some things about Doc Kinski. He's another guy that, that is... Well, he's ha- he's an angel that is on Earth. He's been cast down, but he doesn't. They don't have him go all the way to hell. And I thought, I thought Lucifer's line of if he had cast him all the way down to hell, I would have threw him a ticker tape parade. Right, that was hilarious. That was great. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And then he becomes a very significant person in the role of James Stark in the life of James Stark, and it's very interesting. You know, because the whole time he's talking about. Well, I'll tell you more when you let me get those bullets out of his chest, out of your chest. Yeah, that last, that the whole ending scene where they're talking, where he's pulling the bullets out and Sark's learning, learning who he is and what he is. It was it was right. pretty telling because I honestly I thought the story was over and then that happened and I was like, oh, okay, we got some yeah. some some seed for future novels here coming in his last chapter. Yeah, yeah, and he does a great job on it. the 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 way he portrays Lucifer was really unique, and now when you see how he writes. And talks about the character of Lucifer, you can see how much it made sense for him to do the arc in Lucifer. Yeah, I haven't read that arc yet, but now I really want to go pick up that arc and read it. Yeah, I'm really interested in how much Neil Gaiman has been a part of his, uh, how influenced he has been by Neil Gaiman. I'm pretty, after reading this book, I can almost tell you that he's definitely a a fan of the Sandman series or of at least of Gaiman's other writings. And I'll be honest, when you first told me the series, I thought it was a Sandman book. I was like, but it's not by Neil Gaiman. So why would I want to read a Sandman story not by Neil Gaiman? But it's not. Right. Although I will, I will be honest. I never quite, I don't quite understand why they call him Sandman Slim. Like that doesn't make sense. That never made sense to me. Yeah. That's just like a name that, that, that somebody in hell gave him. And it's nothing, they don't ever really go into that. Okay, good. You know, he's, he's called the monster who kills monster. He's Sandman Slim, the monster that kills monsters. And so I want to make sure I didn't, I didn't miss what they said about it. No, no. So, I mean, cause he's killing all these people in the arena and then, um, Azrael, is it Azazel? Azazel, yeah, Azazel. Yeah. One of the generals of hell hired, not hires him, but buys him cause he's a slave down there, buys him and then gives him, basically gives him more training and has him kill other generals and lieutenants in Satan's army so he can gain more power and people realize who he is and what he's doing 
and then he actually in turn starts to cause fear in the demons below because he's been able to kill everybody and he does it silently he doesn't just like go up i mean he comes in when you're sleeping and and kills you. He is the boogeyman for the demons in hell. <laughs> for the hell. Yeah, he's the boogeyman for the de- for the yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's the boogeyman for the demons of hell. And I just think that's a, such a cool concept. It is. And it's like, I don't know, I was to be honest, about halfway through the book, I was kind of feeling like, all right, I, I honestly, and this may sound bad, but I, I got a little bored half halfway through the book. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I want to finish it because I want to find out what happens with Mason and how how they finds him and how this kind of all wraps up, but I'm get, I feel like I'm dragging a little bit. But that was only a short period of time. It was very quickly got I, I was pulled back into you know excitement and, and getting back into it, and it was uh, yeah. But it was the section where he was going about talking about Alice and talking about the money and his past with Alice. That part kind of honestly bored me a little bit. Right. But once it once it moved past that, I got back to talking with the the normal the, the normal story. I was pulled right back in. Well, that, but that time with Alice and talking about the money and and not he doesn't have any money, but Alice had a lot of money. Yeah. But she couldn't. She never got a chance to spend it because she wasn't getting anything until she got to a certain age, and I don't think she ever got to that age. No, she had to get to thirty. Yeah, which I mean, it was it, it it was it was germane to the story, but at that point, I was, it was kind of a little bit of not as exciting as parts around it. I mean, I understand why it was right. there. It made sense. It wasn't like it was filler stuff. It was just I got a little bored. Yeah, you got to give depth to your character. You have to understand how much what was going on between Stark and Alice. And why that relationship was important, and why he was willing to 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 get out of hell at any means necessary. Oh, exactly, and that's exactly what it did. It, it totally it gave you the the whys of what he was doing, and and I like I, I did like it. It just given the stuff around it, it was a lull. It was a lull in the story, you know. And that's it's yeah. it's fine. I mean, it's not a big deal. And I still I still really yeah, yeah. enjoyed the story. I I want to see it go to a movie series or to like a mini series type of thing. I, yeah. I'd love to see. I not love it. I going to be reading the next book uh, as soon as I, you know, have the free time to do that. It was enjoyable. I mean, it's probably one of the one of the better books I've read recently as far as the novel goes. I'm excited that he's that they've announced a movie deal with it. I mean, personally, I would I'd be even more excited if it was coming to HBO or Showtime or something like that. Yeah, I think I think a, a Showtime or a mini series on one of those networks would be a lot better than a movie anymore. I think a movie series doesn't really capture the the fun or the fun or the style of a book. Well, there's a lot of books, man. There's like nine books in the series, so they have a lot of material. They do, but even and even even given a lot of material, one if they did you know book one as a movie, you know, they got to cut so much out of that to make it into a movie that's timeline. What I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. I'm like, you know, could you if they did Game of Thrones as a movie? George R. R. Martin's books are just ridiculous. It would never work. The books are so there's so much going on per book that the movie would be so confusing. And this it's a four hour movie. Right. Exactly. And even though Johnny has no idea when it comes to Game of Thrones because he's talking on his ass when it comes to Game of Thrones because he doesn't watch it. Oh, whatever. I've read the first book. Did you read the first book? Yes. And I've watched the first like couple episodes. Oh, now I, oh, OK. I can't say anything. Then. If you read the first book, that's that's awesome. I, I read the first two books. And then after that, I was like, I love the show so much. I didn't want to ruin the show. Yeah, it's it's. And Game of Thrones to me is not that it's bad. It's just that I'm just not. There's other things I'm more interested interested in spending my time on than that, and I'm fine with not seeing it and not reading it. Yeah, well, but the acting dude is so spectacular in that show. I'll take your word for it. I mean, it really is. That that is, I think that's the driving force is the actors they chose, 
and the performance they give is done so well that that's half of it. Did you see the picture that was that came out today of uh, a young George R.R. R. Martin that looked just like Kit Harrington? No, that's funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's, it's it looked a lot alike. It's pretty funny. Getting back to Sandman Slim because this is not a Game of Thrones episode. This is a Richard Cadry Sandman Slim episode. Damn right. And really, for my money, I'm excited for them to have this movie come out. I have no idea. Who knows, right? They just announced it. That, that doesn't mean nothing. It might never come out for all we know. Because when I read the book, I was like, man, this would be an amazing comic book. <laughs> right? It's 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 written with so many visuals that God, I could see it as just such yeah. a beautiful comic. Yeah, it really would be. A, it'd be a fun ride. And they could put it, They like we said in the beginning, you could do it in Hellboy. Oh, yeah. You could do it as a Vertigo title. So. You could, uh, Mr. Catchy, if you're listening to this for any reason and you need an artist to draw the comic book for you, I will happily draw that comic for you. You should see the amount of artists that have done their variation of James Stark. Oh, I'm sure. It lends itself yeah. very well to people doing you know, fan art for it. Right. Cause, you know, and he knows what he's doing when he comes to writing. So his scripting of a, book, of a comic book would probably be spot on. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Again, I'm excited you to know. read his Hellblazer, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick up his his Lucifer run because after reading this, I I like the Lucifer character. I want to know how. I want to know what he did there because you know Lucifer and, and Hellblazer are in the same are in the same universe. Yeah, that's the Lucifer right out of the Sandman's Sandman uh, universe. Right. Exactly. And it's it's it, right. And they pulled in because that's all Vertigo. Yeah. Which which they pulled in Constantine in. Yep. That was the interesting thing about Vertigo is that it was all basically a shared universe, but. It was the concept was creator owned content, but in the same shared universe. Or was it just, or was it just well, that uh, Alan Moore created Constantine, and then was, did Alan Moore create Constantine? Because he's not the one who wrote the Hellblazer series, though. Uh, Constantine first appeared in Swamp Thing and Alan Moore comic. So Swamp Vertigo wasn't really creator owned. Vertigo was just a mature reader's line. It just happened yeah. to be. Yeah, it was. It wasn't creator owned. Uh, in the oh, okay. now. So I was really. Excited to see that he got a movie deal out of that. I hope that something happens, but it's hard to say, right? Yeah. You never know when someone gets a movie deal if anything's there. And hopefully he comes on and we can ask him about that and if it's really going on. He, and and really he might not be able to he might not be allowed to talk about it. Exactly. And if that's the case and we'll just we'll try and push out of him off the air. <laughs> so we'll know and you won't. <laughs> right. So But you know one of the things I wanted to say, and this is a huge spoiler, so if you don't want any spoilers at all, don't listen for like two minutes. Uh, maybe five because right. I talk a lot, but I really, really enjoyed how he quote unquote defeated Mason at the end. Oh yeah, yeah, that was fun. How he just like took him to hell and like you know what this is the bastard. He's you know uh, what, what's the name of the the race of the bad guys? The Kissy? Yeah, the, the yeah the Kissy or the Kishi? The Kishi, Kishians, Kishi, yeah. whatever. Like you know he's the his arm was showing it and they this is the guy who wants to come in here and take care of what you're doing and make you slaves again for the same that happened to you in heaven. And I was like, that is a beautiful way to end it because it's not Sandman Slim or, or it's not Stark, you know, doing this huge battle magical fight. It's him using it, using his resources. And going, hey, you know what I can do to make this easier on me? Take him down there. Yeah. Yeah. Is he dead? Do you think he's dead? Um, No, I don't think he's dead, but <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't, you probably already know the answer to that question, but I don't think he's dead. <laughs> I'm just curious on what your what you what your thought process is when you're reading that. My my assumption is that my assumption is they want you to think he's dead, but he's not going to actually be dead. Yeah, you could be right. You could be wrong. <laughs> but I'm right. But I think they kind of answered that at the. I think though well, they answered it at the end with with his conversation with Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's organizing and he's got some people that are getting on his side down there in hell. Yeah, kind of tells so you. So it's it'll be. Yeah, yeah. You you'll find out more in later in, in the other books. So it's a it's a fun ride. You know the cool thing is the list of tools and powers that James Starks has at his disposal. Yeah. There's a couple of things that made it very interesting. One is he has a key that he 
was given to him by Azazel, allowing him to go anywhere he wants in the universe. Isn't it? And it's called the Room of Thirteen Doors, and he can get into any. He can go into any shadow. And he can enter. He has to have a shadow to get into the room. And he can get into the room with thirteen doors. And then from there, he can use different doors to go to different places that he wants to be. And I think it's basically based on where he, like, his mind is telling. He has you know, to visualize like, it. Yeah, he has to visualize isn't, it. Isn't and, the key lodged in his heart too? Yeah, yeah, because he took the key because he <laughs> he took the key and he stuffed it into his uh, chest near his heart behind his rib cage. Yep. So that way he can just use it whenever. Yeah. And then Azazel also gave him the black knife which is a magical knife that allowed him to cut off Kasabian's head, but kept Kasabian alive. Which is so cool. <laughs> yeah, and he uses it to jam into, to steal any car, right? He just puts the knife, sticks it in the keyhole, and turns it, and it just starts. doesn't matter what it is. So he's stealing all these incredible cars throughout the whole story. And I, I love his line. If you're going to steal a car, at least steal a car that whoever owns it can afford it. Yeah, right. Their, 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 their insurance will pay for it. So they're not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not stealing a Pinto because it's easy to steal. Yeah. He's stealing like Mercedes and Lamborghinis because the people who own it can afford it. Right, exactly. So he's a, a mass murderer with a conscience. <laughs> but is he a mass murderer? No. He's not a mass murderer. No. He, I mean, the, the people that he kills true. deserve it. This is true. You know, so that's my other question is, is he a superhero? He doesn't wear a costume. But he does have a code name. Does he? But <laughs> d- d- does he? D- does he not wear a costume? I mean, could you consider all the scars and and the hard living? He's a type of costume. So he, I, I would say, he's as much of a superhero as John Constantine is. I think, or the Punisher. Mm, Punisher more so because the Punisher, wore, the Punisher has a more of a costume that he wears, right? Yeah, but the well, it depends. I mean, he's got tactical gear and he just happens to put a. a Skull on it, right? Well, this, put, putting the skull on it makes it a costume, and, and you know that, that makes it more than just more than just tactical gear for him. Yeah, but yeah. I would say that he's he's on pars. The only thing that Constantine would have to be quote unquote more superhero-y than Sandman Slim would be the fact that Constantine actually interacts with other superheroes on occasion. But right, that doesn't mean that Sandman Slim or Stark couldn't just like slide right into that role and and, and do that too. It'd be really fun to do if there was a comic come out of like a, a one shot comic of a Stark and Constantine crossover. Oh my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you do in that situation or what kind of situation would that bring up? I would say it, it would have to be something to do a swamp thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, but it'd have to be Constantine and, and Stark, and you'd have to have Swamp Thing involved in it somehow. And I would say if you brought in Zatanna as well, the dynamic between you know Stark and Constantine and Zatanna would be really hilarious. <laughs> it'd be interesting though because Lucifer and Stark is a lot different than the Lucifer with that Constantine deals with. Yeah. Oh, a lot vastly different. Yeah, and when you read the other books, and I would re- I would highly recommend that you read the other books. You learn so much more about Lucifer and who he is and why he is and what's going on. And you learn who God is and what happened within God. And it's that's a crazy thing. And I can tell you right now, you've already met God in the book. Oh, really? It is cr- yeah, it is crazy. I mean, it's kind of a spoiler. It's kind of a hint, right? Now I'm just thinking about who it might be. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and I can guarantee you might kind of figure it out, but you'd be shocked on who it is and how it happens. And why he's not doing the things that he was doing before. You know what I mean? And what's going on now. It is crazy ride, dude. And and I think we, we're reviewing just the first 
book, which is stupendous and fun. But if you look at the first, you have to look at the whole series because there's so much happens and he calls back things that happen in other books that you're like, oh my God, that makes so much more sense now. And the way the guy interacted with them and, and why why things had why people had certain things and other people had other things and all the old gods that, that come in later on. He's, dude, he fights all the old gods that were there before Yahweh and how all that happened. And it's crazy, man. Yeah. yeah now I'm going to have to read him. Yeah, well, the things that he deals with on the level that he deals with it on is far outweighs what Constantine de- does. Because Constantine deals with mostly demons, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Demons in the yeah, occult and, and stuff like that. Yeah, demons in the occult. And the stuff that Stark deals with is beyond that. Like, Stark takes on Cthulhu-style gods. Well, it's like we said. Stark is Constantine on crack. It's like Constantine yeah. plus. yeah. It's just, the, I don't know. I think Kadri did, I think he's got something there. You know what I mean? And when I talked to him, when I was in, when he was came to Seattle and I got to talk to him for like, maybe like 10 minutes and he was just such a super nice guy. And he said they have a, he has a plan. He's got a plan for the whole, for the ending of the series and everything. So he's got a beginning, a middle and an end. And so I don't know how many more books are going to happen, but I could imagine that it's starting to ramp up to be the be all end all. At least there, there's nine out so far. Right? Yeah, I think it's nine of them. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's a lot of books, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he's been pretty prolific because I think the first one came out when I'm not too sure when the first one came out. July 2009. He's got nine books in the last eight years. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you're talking. Some of them are like you know. There's been years that he put out two. That's, you know, that's nuts. That's insane, man. And it and the thing is, is the level doesn't. I don't think the level comes off. Doesn't drop off. The level of how good they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How well they're written. Because sometimes when you're so prolific, you get going and you're, you're just putting stuff out. The, the consistency isn't always there because you just want to hurry up and get it done. Right. Because you, get, but I you think, rush things. And it, it, it sounds like from what you're saying is he didn't rush things. He knew maybe maybe he was fast at writing, but he knew what he was, he knew what he was getting into. Yeah. I think maybe he had a lot of planning before he started. Right. Like he planned out the first, you know, few books way before he even started writing the first one. So then it was just like, boom, 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 boom. So look at this. 2009, Sam and Slim. 2010, Kill the Dead. 2011, Aloha from Hell. 2012, Devil in the Dollhouse. 2012, De- Devil Said Bang. 2013, Kill City Blues. 2014, The Getaway God. 2015, Killing Pretty. 2016, The Perdition Score. 2017, The Killing, The Kill Society. That's a lot of books. That is a, plus, he's well, with the thing that plus he also is doing doing other comic book stuff, Lucifer, and now Hellblazer, and other stuff in between too. Yeah, and he has other books that he he's put out. I don't know if he has other books that he put out in between those, but he has other books that he's done. That's insane. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> good on you. Yeah, Mr. I mean, talking Kadri. about putting out content, we're just trying to do. Our goal is two episodes a week. Yeah, we hit. It doesn't happen. We hit that three day mark, and we're time. like, oh, we need to get an episode up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We get like. What, how do we do this? Can you sneak out of the house so we can do this? What, what's going on? This guy is putting out novels, and they're like 400 and some odd pages apiece. Yeah. So, yeah, I am I think after reading it and talking all this out, I'm going to be picking up the second book to read <laughs> and <laughs> read that. <laughs> yeah, you should. I mean, you should check it out. I mean, it's a fun read. And, and if you think about it and you look at it from a, uh, a comic book sense. Yeah. Right? Or look at, like I, I see a movie in my head. So, you know, it's called Kill the Dead is the second one. And you should you should definitely pick it up. And I would suggest anybody who's listening, pick it up. Pick up all of them. 
Start with Sandman Slim. Check it out. See if you like it. Let us know if you liked it. Yeah, please what do. What you didn't like about it. And hopefully we'll have uh, Mr. Kadri on here in the end of September, beginning of October. We would love to have him on. He did do a soft commit. So hopefully we'll get a hard commit and we'll make this happen. That'd be great. And in closing, my, my closing thought of the book is if you like supernatural books and you're a book creator, this is one you need to read. Yeah, definitely. Hey, well, there you go, guys. That's our review of Sandman Slim. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully you guys have time to check it out. Let us know. Before that, make sure that you visit us on twitter.com forward slash spoiler underscore country, facebook.com forward slash spoiler country. And Instagram, just search for spoiler country there. Hit us up on, yep. hit us up on Patreon because you know you, know you want to support us there and help us out. Yeah, you do. You totally want to support us. So hit us up on Patreon. And don't forget to check out our new website, at www.spoilercountrypod.com. Johnny did a lot of work on that thing, and it's really good. And you can find all of our episodes up on that as well. And we're going to start putting up some single-issue floppy comic reviews. Once we read each week, we're going to write a quick little review and throw them up on the website for That's everybody right. to read. If you if you care for that, they'll, they'll be fun. They'll be our thoughts on whatever we're reading at the time. Also, you know, if you want to, if you don't want to do Patreon, you want to support us. We have an Amazon affiliate link in the description down below. Just click on that link, log into Amazon. Buy whatever you're going to buy, and we'll get a percentage of that somehow. I don't know, but it'll, it'll happen. Don't forget that we do have a contest going on to get a signed Copperhead from Scott Godleski. So make sure you add us on Twitter and tweet at us with S, uh, hashtag SCCopperhead to enter that contest. We'll announce the winner here in about a week or so. And that'll be good stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace.